And thank God once again. This is Pastor Adams, the president and founder of Truth Matters Ministries located here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you for just the honor of being able to be a host and attendant of this podcast as we share a very dynamic teaching in our continuation of heaven. And as we continue in this series, we want to just stop and pray before we get into our teaching today. Now, Father, once again, we come before you who is love, who is life. We come and we bow before you, God. We reverence you. Lord, we just are in awe of your presence. We thank you that you're a high priest, God, that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Because you, God, you were tempted in all points like we were. You understand what it's like to be rejected. God, you lived, you know what it was like to be lied on, to be misunderstood, to have lack, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be betrayed, (laughs) to be walked over. You know what it's like, Lord, to have people use you and speak all manner of evil against you. You experienced being among the lepers. You experienced seeing loved ones die. God, you know what it's like to see those who you love and you wept. You wept for Lazarus. And there's so many today, God, who are weeping for their lost loved ones. There are so many people who are weeping because of the pressure of living in this world. There are so many people who are weeping Because mom has died, dad has died, brother, sister, cousin, best friend, children have passed away. There's so many people who are hurting God. And we know that you as our high priest, you feel their infirmity and you're able to secure them. You're able to wipe away every tear. God, we thank you that you're standing by. You are their company keeper. That person who is on a ventilator now who has not seen their loved ones for days and for weeks. They're wrecked with pain. They're trembling in fear. They don't even know if they're going to make it through the day or the night. Lord, you give them peace. You let them know that whether they stay in this world or they are transported to the next, that If they put their trust in you, they'll never feel pain anymore. They'll never have to worry anymore. But they'll be with the lover of their soul in a new recreated body, insulated from all of the curses and the plagues of this present life. We thank you today, Lord God, that you do care. You said, cast every care on you because you careth for us. And for this reason, we're glad in Jesus' name. And in our last podcast, as we begin to talk about heaven, we're going to answer some very important questions and things that are in the hearts of so many people about heaven. And hopefully we'll be able to share something that will be able to illuminate this grand and dynamic place that's called the new heaven and the new earth. Before we do that, I'm mindful of the words of 
uh, Patrick Fitzgerald, who was the lead prosecutor in the Scooter Libby trial, he said that truth is the engine of our justice system. And he says, without truth, we don't have anything. And it's so important, the words that were spoken by Mark Twain. Mark Twain said that a lie will travel all around the world before truth can even get its boots on. So it's so important that we share these truths concerning this great place called heaven. The question that was arisen about heaven, it says, well, when we go to heaven and if I go to heaven, will there be animals there? Well, Isaiah 11, 6 and 9, it tells us very clearly that the coming glorious era on earth is going to be a place where the leopard and the goat will lie down together. We know that that doesn't happen today. We know it doesn't happen on this current earth. I've, I watch all the animal channels. I look at so many things that happens in our forests. Even here in Georgia, I see prey and predators. And prey and predators don't lie down together. You don't see sheep and leopards laying together. You don't see lions and calves lying together. Not here. Because one is a meal and the other one is a recipient of that meal. And it says that the leopard and the goat will lie down together as well as the lions and the calves. And a child will lead them. An infant will play near the cobra's hole. Take a look at Isaiah 11, verse 6 through 9. Now, animals were made with a living soul just as humans were. They received the breath or the nephesh from God. No, they don't have human souls, but they possess the soul of an animal. Now, God commanded that Noah, during, you know, during the flood, would, before the flood, would bring animals in the ark to ensure that the earth is filled with animals. God's plan of the new earth was for animals to inhabit it. Now, 2 Peter 3, 5, and 7, in that verse we see the direct parallel between God's past judgment where God rescued eight people and animals together. Animals are a part of God's plan to place them under man's benevolent care. Psalms 148 chants the splendor of animals praising God. Psalms 150 proclaims, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. That includes animals. God has reflected his presence and activity in creation. Not just in stars and the galaxy, he reflected it also in animals. We see that God used images of the traits of animals in describing himself. He's from the, a lion from the tribe of Judah is how he is sometimes depicted. Another question about heaven is, will we rest there? And yes, we will rest there. When God created the earth, he rested on the seventh day. He instructed a Sabbath rest for his people. And Hebrews 4, 1 through 11 continues that there being a rest for God's people as well. Revelation 14 and 13 reminds us that those who die in Christ will cease from their labor. Eden is a magnificent picture of rest from work and that it is not enjoyable and meaningful. Now listen to this. There will be eternally abundant food in a beautiful environment. 
The release from the curse is manifested in part with believers being free from labor. Yes, we will enjoy one of life's joys. What is that? Sleep. If we eat, walk, serve, work, laugh, and play, we will need sleep, right? So there will be plenty of rest in the new heaven and the new earth. Another question arises, will we work? Well, the idea of working in heaven is foreign to the church. Yet scripture clearly teaches it. I can't ever remember out of the 30 and 40 years that I attended just the traditional church that there was ever much preaching and teaching about that. When God created Adam in the garden, he took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? Work it and take care of it. Adam was working on things that he enjoyed, like a person who loves to plant flowers or do landscaping. They don't see it as labor, but joy. It's just like me. I absolutely love to go out and put down moss and put down uh, different things around my home to decorate it, to make sure the hedges are right. I have a landscaper now, but I actually enjoy doing a lot of that myself. It doesn't seem like a job to me. It's something that I enjoy. How many times have you seen people who have jobs that they just totally love? A football coach spends long hours at practice and games, but it's his passion. They don't see it as work at all. Work was not a part of the original curse, but the curse made work menial, tedious, arduous, and frustrating. Scripture also tells us that we as servants will serve God. Now, serve does not mean worship. It means to be active, occupied, and carrying out tasks. God is also working. In John 5 and 17, it says, My Father is always at work to this day, and I too am working. Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his what? Work. Finally, God said in the letter to the church in Ephesus, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. What kind of work will we, will we be actually doing in heaven? Maybe build things with Jesus as the carpenter, right? Ten sheep with David, who was a shepherd herder. Sew with Dorcas. Make clothes with Lydia. Design a tent with Paul. Our work will be fulfilling, and man, it's going to be so enjoyable. Another question about heaven is, will there be reunions? And the answer is yes. First Thessalonians 2 and 8 says, My friends, we loved you so much, and you had become so dear to us. And he speaks of his intense longing to be with them. And Paul anticipates his ongoing relationship with the Thessalonians as part of his heavenly reward. So he knew that the one-to-one -one correspondence between the relationships that he had of believers on the earth would also be a part of his reward in heaven, having that continued relationship. But it's going to be a reunion of a relationship. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20 reveals that Paul's hope and joy and the crown in which they will glory in in the presence of the Lord when it comes. It was them 
They were Paul's glory and joy. We can rest assured that we will be reunited with loved ones in heaven. What a day of rejoicing. I've always thought about when I go to heaven, I know that the number one person that's going to absolutely dominate and exhilarate my mind, my heart, my spirit is going to be to see Jesus face to face, to see the creator of the world. Nothing's going to even come close to that. But man, how happy am I going to be when I see my father, when I see my uncle Eugene, when I see my uncle Delano, when I see my daughter Tani, when I see my mother, when I see my cousins who have passed away, my grandfather, my grandmother. Man, that's going to be so exciting. Another question arises is, will there be marriage and will there be families in heaven? Man, this is so powerful. Now, receiving a glorified body and relocating to the new earth doesn't erase history. It culminates history. Man, I love that so much. It culminates our history. Nothing will negate or minimize the fact that we were members of families on the old earth. My daughters will always be my daughters. My son will always be my son. Although first and foremost, they are and will be God's daughters and sons. Heaven will not be without families, but will be one big, happy family. Friends will become family and family will become friends. Jesus said in Luke 8, 19 to 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. In Mark 10, the 29th and the 30th verse, Jesus said, those who follow me will gain brothers, sisters, mothers, and children. Man, that's awesome. Jesus said in Matthew 22 and 28 through 30, when the Sadducees attempted to trick questions and they asked him, uh, the woman who had seven husbands who all died during the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And Jesus replied, in the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. Now, there is a great deal of regret and misunderstanding concerning this text. A very popular view is that all earthly marriage relationships will terminate at death and beyond. Pay attention here. But God in the Bible does not teach that. I find scripture makes it clear that there will be marriage in heaven. What it says is there will be one marriage in heaven between Christ and his bride and all believers will be a part of it. Paul links earthly marriage to a higher spiritual relationship that it mirrors. In Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, it reads, For this reason a man leaves his mother and his father, and he cleaves to his wife, for they being twain become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But what did he say? But I speak about Christ and the church. The one flesh marital union we know on earth is a signpost pointing us to a relationship with Christ as our bridegroom. Once we reach our destination, the signpost becomes unnecessary. The one marriage, our marriage to Christ 
will be so completely satisfying that the most elaborate earthly marriage will not be nearly as fulfilling. Earthly marriages are a shadow of the substance that is fulfilled in Christ. Our earthly relationships touch strings that vibrate through eternity. My wife Barbara is my best friend and closest sister in Christ. Will we become distant in the new earth? Of course not. We're going to become closer. I'm convinced of it. Nothing will take away from the fact that Barb and I are our marriage partners here. And that we invest so much in our lives and each other as we serve Christ together. The joys of marriage will be far greater because of the character and love of our bridegroom. I rejoice that we are both spiritually married to the most wonderful person in the universe, Jesus Christ. He is already the one we must love the most, right? On earth, the closer we draw to him, the closer our marriages are anyway. People with godly marriages on earth are best friends on earth. We will continue to be friends in heaven as well. Jesus teaches the institution of marriage will end having fulfilled its purpose, but he never hinted that the deep relationship between married people would end. Those who are part of the LDS Mormon Church attempt to maintain eternal celestial marriages that diminish the ultimate thrill of our eternal marriage to Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Lord. What a wonderful, glorious plan that you've prepared for your people. Another question arises and it asks, will we be reunited with infants in heaven? The scripture teaches that we will be reunited with all believing loved ones. It is a popular view that little infants, those mentally handicapped, will be bound to hell since they didn't and they couldn't repent. I want you to chew on that for a minute. And it also suggests that since they couldn't repent or call on Jesus' name or believe in Christ's redemptive work on Calvary, Romans 5 and 12 tells us that in Adam all mankind sinned we are convinced as sinners according to Psalms 51 and 5. Thus, it's taught that all children, even the mentally handicapped, are born in sin and are separated from God. Now, James 2 and 10 explains that all presence of sin is enough to separate us from God. Now, many surmise that for God to pardon and give a heaven pass to infants is definitely unbiblical. There is another view that infants are not accountable for their sins since they have not reached the so-called age of accountability. Now, Charles Spurgeon said, Some ground the idea of the eternal blessedness of the infant upon its innocence. We do no such thing. We believe that the infant fell in the first Adam, for in Adam all died. If, in if infants be saved, it is not because of any natural innocence. They enter heaven the same way we do. They have to receive Christ in Jesus' name. Well, let's take a look at what the scripture says about this, because truth matters today. 1 Timothy 2.5 and John 3.3 3 declares respectively that our salvation comes through Christ's work. Unless we are born again, we can't enter the kingdom of God. What is correct? This beckons the question about the justice and grace of our God. Questions arise about his mercy in a myriad of scenarios. Some include, if an infant is not saved, then they are lost 
and will be lost and spend eternity in hell. Is that what God does to infants? Is the aborted baby, which we all know as a living being in the womb, destined for hell to burn and fire and torture eternally? Is that justice? Is that the grace of God? One of the consistent questions that arise when someone dies is, were they saved? Most people respond with, well, I believe they were, or I know they were not a spiritual person. Others reply, I don't know what their communion or intimate heart confession and devotion to Christ was. Since we know Samuel was right when he said, man sees the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. Often we must yield to the mercy of God. That is absolutely amazing. We must yield to the grace of God, which is absolutely amazing. Let's listen to what Paul said while in Athens in Acts 17 and 27. The Athenians had an altar to the unknown God, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Jesus received a report of a woman who was caught in adultery. The law demanded that Jesus support her being stoned. But Jesus wrote on the ground and said, He without sin should cast the first stone. On the cross there was a thief who during the last hour said, Remember me, Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom. Scripture provides glimpses of God's heart, his love, and his grace. He is never far from any of us. He desires all men to be saved in specific circumstances. He shines his grace and mercy to every heart. In Luke 23, 24, he did not require the thief to follow a regiment of recitals, go get baptized and dipped in some waters to complete some sacrament or procedure to gain the kingdom. Jesus saw his heart and belief and opened heaven's door. An interesting passage is Luke 1 and 15. It speaks of the fact that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. This suggests that God conferred a righteous standing or at least a special spiritual sanctifying work on John, even though he was too young to confess his sinfulness or his conscious yielding to God. If God did this for John, could he do it for other children? Similarly, David said God has been his God since his mother bore him. Read that in Psalms 22 and 10. God told Jeremiah he'd known him since he was formed in his mother's womb in Jeremiah 1 and 5. David, when mourning over his son's death, said, I will go to him but he won't return to me in 2 Samuel 12 and 23. This is an indication that David expected to see his son in heaven since he knew his son would not return to him while he was on the earth. When we see Isaiah 11, 6 and 9, that the infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest, God in his love and grace had children and infants with him in heaven. God has clearly indicated that he had a special love for children. Jesus taught that we all need to become as little children to enter the kingdom of God. He made a strong point to embrace children when the disciples wanted to exclude them. 
God expresses his anger at killing of children, refers to them as my children. Jesus says children have angels that are always before the face of the Father in Matthew 18 and 10. David wrote in Psalms 8 and 2, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. The Old Testament people looked forward to the cross. And those who believed in the promised propitiation provided by Christ's sacrifice were seen walking through the streets of Jerusalem after Christ's resurrection. Read Matthew 27, 50 and 53. Now, if our God has granted eternal life to those who departed, he certainly provides salvation to those who look back at the cross in his completed work. Our God has done justly concerning children. Since God is a spirit and has omniscience to communicate and cover children with his blood, grace and love, he commanded to have them with him. He said, suffer the children to come unto me. Don't forbid them. Why are we forbidding them? The 30 million babies that were aborted within the womb of parents since 1973. Why are we forbidding them? Those who have experienced tragedy and lost infants and small children from accidents through sickness and tragedy, miscarriages, abortions, kidnappings can be assured. Jesus is standing up and crying out, let the children come unto me and forbid them not. God built us a new home to live in, miles and miles of acreage. He invited a large number of guests to live and occupy this new home. Jesus Christ, our God and King, was the main occupant at this new home. And Jesus wanted to have a celebration with all of us in this new home. He was rejoicing in the midst of all of us. And in some miraculous manner, all attendees were simultaneously involved in an intimate communion with him at the same time. Christ was laughing and speaking and rejoicing with all of us. Musicians with skills that surpassed Beethoven and Bach and Miles Davis and Jimi Hendrix, Buddy Miles, Stanley Clark, Arthur Rubenstein and Leonard Corgan were present, making music more grand than anything that's ever been heard before. Angelic beings were singing with earthly vocalists that surpassed the abilities of Mahalia Jackson and Babyface, Luther Vandross, Adele, Whitney Houston could sing better than Johnny Gill, Patti LaBelle, Aretha Franklin, Elizabeth Schwarzkopf, and Karen Clark. My saved family members and friends were with me there, along with earthly renowned people I always wanted to talk to, like Paul and Moses and Peter, Martin Luther King and Charles Spurgeon, C.S. Lewis, Jonathan Edwards, and Athanasius, Johns Wesley, Bishop Charles Mason, and Reverend Jasper. I'll be in fellowship with them in this new home. There were all manner of exotic animals there. They had dinosaurs at this home. They had saber-toothed tigers and dodo birds and Tasmanian ostriches at the home and on that property. It was just amazing. Here in this new home, all projects will be completed. All goals will be realized. There will be unified efforts without the curse of division and lack of love and concern for each other. In this new home, every person will dwell in homes with family in a new spiritual bodies that will not experience disease, decay, or degrade eternally. Jesus will radiate his light continuously there. There'll be no 
not need for lamps and flashlights. We won't need security cameras or have to have AR-15s or Glocks in this new place. We don't need electric fences for God only invited the righteous to this new home. There's no fighting there. There'll be no backbiting, no lying or covetousness, no ego trips, no drunkenness, no negativity or drama in this new home. The only thing that's going to be here is peace and joy and love. There was a beautiful river in the back of this beautiful waterfall added to the house. In the distance was a fantastic mountain range, more awesome than our Himalayas. There were groves of fruit trees, among them a tree called the Tree of Life. This new home was the greatest gift I've ever received, a paradise like Eden full of new sweet fragrances and new exhilarating animals and insects and plants and birds and vegetables, super mangoes and fruits that are now extinct will become resurrected, a new earth and a new heaven merged throughout eternity, one with no earthquakes, no tsunamis, no volcanoes, no tornadoes, no hurricanes, avalanches devoid of worry and stress and loneliness and pain and tears and murder and war, viruses and sicknesses, no aging there, no dying there, no goodbyes, but only howdy howdies, a place of only eternal peace, joy and love, fulfillment, provision, communion with family, friends, and with our loving God throughout all eternity. And with this in mind, I have to say, come, Lord Jesus.